0: Armand White, uh, it's been a year since we last got together, and I'm very sorry about that. 2023 has been absolutely bonkers, um, and you are one of the most <laughs> demanded recurring guests we have on the show, so I'm glad to be able to get some time with you in the calendar year, uh, even if it's the last, you know, literally two weeks of December. Um, so how are you doing? How has how's the year been treating you?
1: I'm fine. I'm doing well. Uh... I am doing very, I'm doing very good. Thank God for that. And uh, I just wanted, I also wanted to say to you that uh, the movie year has been good for the past two weeks. In the past two weeks, I saw three of the best things that I've seen all year. So I'm very pleased about that. Not to be mysterious about it. I went to a four-year consideration screening of John Wick 4, which is very pleasing and exciting for me. I, it, it confirmed confirmed things for me about it that I had been thinking of thinking on all year. And uh, then I saw this film called All of the Strangers, which I thought was rather good. And I also saw just just yesterday, I saw Rebel Moon. So three movies like that in two weeks is, is, makes it a high point, makes it a high point of 2023.
0: Well, I mean, that's great to hear, especially about Rebel Moon. I, I'm always kind of hit or miss on on Zack Snyder, so I'm, I'm curious about that one. Um,
1: oh, okay. You're one of you're one of those skeptics, huh?
0: I, dude, I'm, we're film critics. Okay, part of us have to be skeptical.
1: <laughs> I'm a skeptical oh, he, optimist. He, okay, except that you know, he's. I feel he's one of those filmmakers who's who's earned a kind a kind of trust, not politically. But in terms of of filmmaking, um, he's he's one of the real ones. I think he's he's proven that already. But uh, oh, sure.
0: Zack Snyder has nothing to prove to me. I'm just not so much crazy about the scripts that he works from. Um, You know, that's that I guess in more than his directorial style, which I do enjoy. um, It's the screenplays that sometimes, you know, don't thrill me that much. I mean, that that zombie thing he did uh, a couple of years ago. Yikes. Anyway, we're mm-hmm. not here to talk Zack Snyder. We're not going to litigate that. But we are going to talk about American fiction, a movie that I, again, maybe I was naively hopeful for. Um, it's going to be opening in wide release this coming week. It's in limited release right now. Um, stars Jeffrey Wright and um, Issa Rae and a number of other, you know, luminaries, I guess, in a story that I thought was going to be kind of bold and transgressive uh, for our times, but it ended up being something markedly different, uh, a film that I think the trailers are <laughs> absolute lies. They they sell a movie that does not exist. And I'm very curious to hear what you thought about American fiction.
1: Wow. Uh, well, I was, I was... I was uh I wasn't merely skeptical about it I was afraid of it uh, when I when I first heard about it actually um, it's based on a novel by a very uh, unusual writer named Percival Percival everett and uh, his novels uh, I guess are are uh, <laughs> a matter of taste and but it's certainly not he's certainly not the kind of novelist i would ever expect to be embraced by hollywood so when i realized that this movie was based on a personal everett novel called erasure uh i thought yeah this is this i don't know if it's gonna work and, and then when i realized it was directed by a person named court jefferson who worked on what is one of the one of the most displeasing television series i've ever seen which is the hbo series called Watchmen. i thought uh this is not looking good (laughs) and then i saw the film and uh it it, i I think it's not a good film i i had had actually watching the film was a strange experience if i could take a minute and explain it to you oh yeah yeah Uh, years ago many many years ago i used to almost regularly have this particular experience if I ever saw a film, a new film, by by great filmmakers, like a, an old fashioned Steven Spielberg film, Brian De Palma film, uh, <laughs> Andre de Jean Luc Godard, any any film by a great filmmaker, uh, that would be a great experience. And then the next film that I saw would look shabby in the aftermath, mm-hmm. and. I haven't had that kind of experience in many, many years. Uh, what happened uh, several weeks ago, I, I, I teach a class at Long Island University and I showed my class uh, Godard's My Life to Live, Viva Savi, projected on a big screen. Uh, it it was—it It is always, whenever I see it, one of the great experiences for me. And it just so happened the next film I saw was American fiction. <laughs> and I remember I, I sat in front of it and I thought, I had that old feeling again. I, I feel. I felt. I felt. I was in a sensory deprivation uh, <laughs> uh, cage. I thought there's nothing happening here, visually, uh, in terms of dialogue, in terms of ideas. I I, I felt deprived. I I, I mean I'm, I'm I'm serious and I'm serious about it. I, I thought this this isn't cinema and this is not working. Uh, and then I thought the the ideas and the story is just is just bull, <laughs> so it was it was not a good experience for me watching American fiction. We should say I guess the the story is about a a black author of serious fiction played by Jeffrey Wright, and he's frustrated at his that his literary reputation is nil, <laughs> that he does, he can't sell books, but he's noticed that in the world. Uh, there is a trend in publishing for books that patronize black, uh, black pathology and uh, whether they're well-written or not. And this upsets him because he he considers himself an intellectual and high-minded and he's upset about it. And so this guy decides that he's gonna, he's gonna write a, a nonsense black pathology book uh, and beat the game and show how ridiculous the publishing industry has become in in this era of woke of uh diversity equity inclusion diversity Mm -hmm. inclusion equity i call it die (laughs) for yeah and uh so he writes this book it becomes a great success a huge success i should say he even gets an offer to make a movie out of it and this only this only frustrates him more meanwhile he's also dealing with uh, his family family issues uh his mother is uh Has the onset of dementia? I think Uh, he has a. He he comes from a a a rich bourgeois family, black bourgeois family. Uh, His two siblings are doctors, and uh, the family has issues. Uh, Everybody everybody feels uh, unappreciated, and and this adds to this adds to his frustration. that's basically the setup, of, that's the setup of, the, of Percival Everett's story. But what's missing from the film is, is the one thing that makes Percival Everett an interesting writer is that he plays literary games, but he also uh, kind of satirizes uh, ideas about race and ideas about literature. And that's something that Court Jefferson, the writer director of the film who did this film adaptation is completely uh, unsuited for putting on the screen. So you have Percival Everett's ideas, but you have Corey Jefferson's ineptitude, and uh, and the entire film to me is is a waste. You've got good actors too, but they're wasted. Oh yeah, I mean I.
0: I love Jeffrey Wright. I mean, I've loved him since I saw him in in Basquiat, you know, 26 years ago or whatever. Um, it's just strange to see how he's evolved into this kind of big, you know, Hollywood actor. Um, and I was, I thought this might be a, I guess, a showcase for, for him being interesting again. I mean, I always like watching him, but as far as doing something daring, I thought maybe this is going to be him, you know, really getting into exploring something meaty. And it just wasn't. I feel like there was uh, the movie kept going right up to the edge of being edgy and then copping out and pulling back. Um, I don't know. Did you watch the trailer for this movie by chance? I did not see the trailer. The trailer makes it seem like this is the, the entire film is about. This fake identity with the, you know, publishing a book uh, that's he calls it my pathology, you know, taking out the TH and, and putting it an F um, and the, the kind of the scandal of rocking the literary world and, and him trying to keep the fact that he's, you know, a well educated black writer uh, out of the public consciousness. He's posing as a fugitive from the law. At letting you know the, the kind of the the white establishment uh, make assumptions about him and just keep throwing money at him, it looks like a farce. In this almost two-hour movie, I would say those elements are maybe thirty minutes because it feels like they spend a lot of time on the family dynamics, the mom's dementia. It is a drama with some misplaced and I think ill-conceived comedic elements sprinkled in. And I want uh, that's why I said the trailer advertises a movie that doesn't exist. I thought this could be the next Hollywood Shuffle, a film that I don't know if uh, Cord Jefferson has seen or if he has, if he understands. But this is not it. It's mm-hmm. it's like play acting it being something. It's like Hollywood Shuffle was described to someone who played the telephone game with 15 people. And they said, yeah, but what if it was a drama? And then we got this.
1: Sure, you know. I guess uh, it's it's a a perfect coincidence, a very lucky coincidence that uh, my my sensory deprivation experience, after seeing a a great Godard film, is is caused by by seeing a great Godard film, because uh, Percival Everett's uh, intellectual pretenses, I I guess you could say they're uh, he's dealing with language. As a writer, he's dealing with language and ideas and cultural assumptions, in the same which are things that Godard himself also did. Uh, this this takes this takes a great intelligence as well as a genius and talent like Godard's to pull off. And there's nobody associated with this movie who's capable of it. Uh, the, the 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 word game you mentioned, such as the lead character changing the spelling of the word pathology. Replacing the th with an f, uh, that just doesn't it doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work in Hollywood cinema, in a, in a film that's trying to be a that's trying to pass itself off as a as a race sitcom. Uh, uh, it just it just doesn't work. Uh, it makes Percival Everett's ideas seem dubious, and they probably are. But if if he can if he can sort of pull them off as a writer, then then that's to his credit. But uh, if, if you're not Godard, you're not likely to pull that kind of thing off on screen, and that and it doesn't succeed here, either. And so, Corey jefferson takes the easy way out, uh, as I as I indicated. He he makes a sitcom rather than an intellectual comedy uh, about language and about ideas, and which is a very low <laughs> kind of lowbrow thing to do for a book that for an author, a book author who considers himself highbrow and poor jefferson winds up making the same kind of race jokes that you see on a tv show like blackish and uh, a terrible tv show like blackish let me add and the whole thing is a disappointment uh he so he concentrates on on the sitcom circumstances of his protagonist's family rather than dealing as godar would with language and ideas and and that's who needs it? That's that's on that's on network TV every week. Um, oh, oh. Also, I guess we need to give a, a, a better indication of what's of what's uh, of what's uh, brash and about about Percival Everett's writing and also about this movie and that the lead character's name is uh, is uh, Thelonious Monk Ellison. So there you have uh you have uh, Personal Everett and Court Jefferson using cultural references that are are just, you know, <laughs> you know, really <laughs> I'm supposed to buy that. I don't buy it. And <laughs> and how dare you sully uh a monk and Ellison. <laughs>
0: well, especially because, you know, his siblings are Cliff and Lisa. I mean, I i don't know if cliff was some kind of reference to you know the huxtables or whatever but i i just felt like if we're going to get if we're going to make the family such a big part of the story that's supposed to be about a guy and his you know bizarre publishing deal there's also a subplot about how he's asked to be a judge in this uh, because this uh This institution, a literary institution, needs a more diverse group of judges for publicity. They ask him to be part of this, um, and he ends up, spoiler alert, having to uh, judge his own book or see if it can be admitted into into the running for the book of the year or whatever. But if they're going to spend so much time on the family, I think dig into it, bring them into the story of what monk is going through because he's keeping all of this a secret from his family because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's this uh, undercover literary sensation, but cliff, the brother, it turns out we meet him. He's divorced. He's left his wife and kids because it turns out he's gay. And I think they lean into all sorts of like terrible stereotypes about, you know, someone in that you know situation I've never been in that situation but you know he's doing cocaine and just like sleeping with everybody left and right and there's this heartfelt scene toward the end of the film where Cliff is talking to Monk about their dad who had killed himself who is also you know he's a philanderer in life that Monk was very close to but the other siblings were not and Monk says something like you know if dad had known you were gay you know what would that have done and Cliff says, "Well, that could, he would have known the real me," and I, you know, I think Monk said he would have been proud or some nonsense like that. I'm like, I don't know if he would have been proud specifically of the way that you've turned out, you know, <laughs> coke, coke abusing, you know, man whore who's you know, broken up his own family. It's just there are all these like odd little detours that I'm like, I feel like there was a point, and maybe it stems from the book uh, that they were going for some kind of reality, but then there is maybe a notes process from the studio saying, well, let's pull this back because this isn't a good look. I mean, at one point when we meet Lisa, the sister, she works for like a Planned Parenthood organization. And there was a line that I think was not meant to be funny, but it kind of made me giggle. She said, I like to feel that I've given more than I've taken <laughs> in my career. I'm like, I, I don't know about that, but moving aside from there, um, yeah, there's well, all these strange turns that the, the, the sure. film just seems very unfocused, you know.
1: Unfocused, but also well, well, yeah, unfocused is okay, but uh, where or not focused enough where it is focused, I think I feel it's it's focused on this thing the kinds of things we've seen all along. I think it's fo- focused on Hollywood virtue signaling. And, and but a weird kind of virtue signaling because of course uh, the brother character, uh, the gay, drug abusing, uh, promiscuous brother character. I think it it pushes all the buttons that Hollywood likes to push, or rather, it checks the boxes that Hollywood likes to have checked. Uh, kind of like that 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 failed comedy that came out last year called Bros. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not that it's not that uh, Cory Jefferson is judging. Uh, the gay promiscuous drug abusing brother but that this is a pair he, he's a he's a paragon of hollywood behavior and I, I think and it's the kind of behavior that hollywood likes to endorse and make us sympathetic towards and uh it may work in hollywood i don't think it's going to work in many other places but i, I think that's what court jefferson that's what he did i think he's he was checking boxes in his hbo series Watchmen. i think he's checking boxes here too uh, the other box, the, the biggest box he checks, is the idea that a that a black academic author, uh, that being Thelonious Monk Ellison, uh, is smarter than everybody else. Smarter than everybody else has always has the correct ideas, and eh, it's just an accident that he that he does something hypocritical and makes money from it. That's checking the Hollywood box. <laughs> and, uh,
0: it reminded me of the uh, the scene from Jerry Maguire, the entire thing that set that movie up, where Tom Cruise plays a sports agent who grows a guilty conscience. And overnight, he writes this manifesto manifesto that turns the entire industry on, his head, on its head. Jeffrey Wright essentially, or, or Monk, does that in this movie. And it's very odd because he writes what looks to be a several hundred page book seemingly overnight. There's not a montage of him toiling away for weeks or months. It's literally him sitting at his, you know, I think in his bed and then at his kitchen table uh, or maybe it's his office. I can't remember, but just pouring out these words and playing out the scenes. There's an interesting trope where uh, Keith David shows up as a, an abusive black father playing out this drama with his kind of a hoodlum son and there's gunplay and all this. And they're, the characters are giving notes to the author and the author is giving notes to the character. I thought that was fun. I'm like, okay, okay, this is early enough in the movie. Maybe this is going to be the scenario that plays out in Monk's head that helps him work through stuff. Maybe they come back as, as a mode of conscience later on. But no, this gimmick is raised and then dropped. And everything else just seems really easy. Hey, he walks into his agent's office. I've got this book. Where'd this come from? I don't know. I just saw you yesterday and you were grousing about no one wanting to read you. And all of a sudden you have this magical book and everyone's bidding on it. There's no like real struggle. A lot of the struggle comes from his wishy-washy feelings about doing it. And then everything else relies on the family and his bogus relationship with this uh, neighbor woman that he meets at, at their parents' beachside resort. I, I don't know what's going on with this film, Armand.
1: Sure. Well, the, the uh, scene you talk about with the father played by Keith David, I think that's what in TV terms would be called a skit. And there's only one skit, but also it's, it's, it's a violent skit. And if you're in, if you're making comedy, and you have characters who are hostile towards each other, and one actually kills the other, one commits patricide. It's like, uh, where is this funny? It's not funny. It's just another cheap Hollywood or Hollywood slash television thing that Court Jefferson does. It, 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 the entire movie strikes me as being only that, uh, another product of of left liberal Hollywood, where the makers say to their potential audience, uh, we're smart. We're right. We agree. (laughs) And I can do anything else now. You know, I don't even have to be good at my own job, which is being a filmmaker or TV maker, because politically we are, we agree and we are right. And we're smarter than everybody else. I think that attitude comes across in the film, uh, very much. And, uh, and I'm glad earlier you mentioned you mentioned uh, a film because I, I mentioned this film also in in my national review of uh, critique of American fiction, and that's Hollywood Shuffle, Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle. I also uh, brought in uh, uh, Robert Downey Sr.'s Putney Swope, his satire yeah. of ab- of advertising, uh, a- advertising behavior, and performance, and uh, and and uh, also uh, uh, Rusty Cundiff's brilliant hip-hop satire, Fear of a Black Hat. Uh, Hollywood Shuffle, Putney Swope, Fear of a Black Hat are movies that deal with ideas, are movies that deal with race, certainly, are movies that deal with with, with American uh, industries and does them hilariously, and I would say brilliantly in each case. I would even say audaciously. And American the American fiction movie, doesn't come close to those films. Uh, I, I think, as a, as a consequence of of the of the confusion, uh, dishonesty, and hypocrisy that has taken over Hollywood, that's taken over the TV industry, especially when it comes to dealing with issues of racial identity and cultural identity. I can't, I still can't get over the the, the audacity of, of <laughs> the, the, the rather t- the temerity of Corey Jefferson taking up. Everett Percival's worst stroke, which is to borrow the names of Thelonious Monk and Ralph Ellison.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you about that, that kind of cultural aspect, because it seems to me, and this might be the way the movie lets itself off the hook by raising it. it I think it opens strong. There's a scene where Monk is teaching a class and he's got the title of a Flannery O'Connor story. Um, the beautiful, uh, or the artificial, sorry, n-word, I'm not going to say it. And there's this, there's this, there's this, uh, you know, student who raises her hand and says, you know, she complains that he's written that word on the whiteboard. And she's like, I just don't want to have to look at that all day. And he says, because it's a white student and he says, look, if I can get over it, I'm sure you can too. <laughs> and then she leaves the classroom crying. Okay, we're off to a good start, Right but throughout the course of the film these ideas of oversensitivity the kind of the decay of i guess racial relations and the the amping up of racial stereotypes that should have been dead you know decades ago that's coming to a point but then we pull back i think by saying these seem to be only the concerns of this uptight you know black author who is almost presenting white you know we you mentioned the affluent household of doctors, that's that's the Cosby show. That's that's Cliff Huxtable. And so by the end of the film, he's still this kind of wishy-washy, squishy dude. And the idea seems to be that everything that he's got a concern about doesn't really matter because he's a problematic character to begin with. Maybe it's the Issa Rae character who plays an author that sort of triggers him in the beginning because she writes a book called Wheeze Lives in Da Ghetto. Uh, She's at a book conference that he attends. She's talking very, you know, properly and, and respectfully about the book. And then when she's asked to read an excerpt, it becomes, you know, Mammy ghetto slang, you know, left and right. They have an encounter later on in the film where they're kind of verbally sparring about, you know, how can she in good conscience write stuff that panders to an audience that is being actively harmed by those stereotypes. And she they talk about like it's it's just like she's dealing drugs. And then she says, well, I think all drugs should be legal. And then the scene ends. And I'm like, wait, is that supposed to be some kind of an own? What are we talking about here?
1: (laughs) Well, throughout the film, that's what that's Court Jefferson's process throughout the film to to perhaps raise an idea in a skit and then drop it. Uh, You you mentioned that that opening scene with the uh, with the very sensitive uh, how, how should we describe her? A, a kind of a snowflake, uh, Black Lives Matter white student, who, as you said, doesn't, she doesn't want to look at the Flannery O'Connor story any all day long. Well, guess who else doesn't want to look at it all day long? Court Jefferson, because because he he drops the whole, the entire he he drops what's fascinating about Flannery O'Connor, which is her 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 recognition of race and religion. And 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 complex American issues. He just drops it. He he puts it at the beginning of the film and doesn't come back to it anymore. Uh, it, it this is this is cheap, and opportunistic, and and also offensive. Uh, and, and 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 okay okay I'll give you that that it it's the film seems to start strong with that scene, but but it did start strong for me because I it, somehow it immediately made me think. Of uh, the first segment of Todd Solondz's storytelling, where, where I, at a, at a dare I say at, at a similar level of, of sensitivity and insight as Flannery O'Connor's, uh, Todd Solondz deals with racial perception, race identity, uh, cultural sense, oversensitivity. And and in a in a way that's that's bold and and rather shocking. Have you seen storytelling?
0: No, uh, but you it's reminded me that great, that's it's a great that, film.
1: And, and, it's, and, it's on my list, yeah. and
0: I keep forgetting to come back to. But I'm gonna I'm gonna fix that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's worth knowing. Uh, so so, Court Jefferson in American fiction. Uh, <laughs> it 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 made me recall Todd Silence's storytelling, but nowhere close. And. Uh, so I guess in, in in the in the many years since storytelling, which is in in the early aughts, uh, from that time to now, uh, our 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 meaning meaning American culture's way of dealing with with race and language uh, has only deteriorated, and, and American fiction is an example of that, an illustration of that. Well, it's it's.
0: You know, the book, the novel, I think, came out in 2000 or, or the very early 2000s as well. 2001, yeah. Okay. Um, this The whole time I was thinking about um, the monk character in terms of, he reminded me of John McWhorter, the, the linguist and author. Um, he does a regular show on YouTube with uh, Glenn Lowry. And they're, you know, two uh, black intellectuals. McWhorter calls himself a liberal. You know, he's very... Anti-Trump, but he is—you know—he's kind of evolved on issues of language and culture. And Glenn Lowry is is an old-school conservative, right? So they they hash it out and they they agree a lot. I think more than they disagree. And I saw a lot of McWhorter in the Monk character, but I felt that the movie was in a in a in a way very much against what he was trying to say, trying to almost silence the urgent warnings of the protagonist, which. I felt was very bizarre. And I think, as you might have said, condescending.
1: Yes. Uh, I guess because what it, well, it seems that, uh, thinking is not something that Hollywood hacks like Jefferson are accustomed to, uh, let's do, let's do a movie made of skits. Uh, let's touch, uh, let's touch on hot button issues. And and not get deep in them into them at all, but then we can switch over to to doing sentimental sitcom stuff, and and that will make us seem uh, that will make us seem uh, progressive, and daring. Uh, but it doesn't work. Yeah,
0: <laughs> right. And and just to bring it back to Hollywood Shuffle, I mean that was a movie that is literally you know, a, a ninety minute series of skits, but it also mm. takes time to pull over to have you know a couple of really heartfelt moments um, to deal to do with you know the main character constantly searching for a big role to become successful but all he can get is parts as you know pimps and slaves um there, there was a really nice i would call it an inspired moment but it remind it was almost a direct callback to hollywood shuffle in american fiction where monk is watching tv and it's some like uh, black you know tv channel saying oh it's it's his black history month and we've got you know top programming for you and it's just montages of like roots and new jack city and it's all you know yeah slaves and gangsters essentially that made me chuckle but again it reminded me that I should be watching hollywood shuffle instead mm-hmm. but the point is there's a way to present this material in a skit or skit like or broken up fashion but have it be hard hitting very funny and also Make you think about it afterwards. I mean, I saw Hollywood Shuffle at a very young age, and you know, my dad loved that movie, and it helped me to think about the entertainment that I was watching in a brand new way. And the only thing American Fiction reminds me of is that everyone should watch Hollywood Shuffle instead.
1: Sure. Well, that montage you men- you mentioned is interesting because it it, it contains uh, clips from real uh, shows. Perhaps films as well, and as, as the montage played, I thought, well, the, Court Jefferson is not actually dealing with those, with those, with, with those Hollywood images. Uh, not even. Oh my God, I hate to say this, but not even the way that Spike Lee did in *Bamboozled*. Uh, he's just flashing them on the screen in this, in this easy montage, and not actually critiquing them, which I think is, 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 is a kind, of a, kind, of, kind of revealing uh there is no genuine critique of hollywood or the publishing industries pandering to race even though that's the subject that's the subject that should that should uh motivate the entire film uh the film doesn't deal with that offense with that with that i'll call it a cultural tragedy as i do in my review it doesn't really deal with it It just it brings it up and then typically in court jefferson fashion drops it this is not good enough. And, uh, I think audiences deserve better and And certainly the issues at hand, uh, uh kind of demand better, uh, demand tougher thinking and, and more, more honesty, even.
0: Very well said. Um, I think that's probably about the best place <laughs> to leave it. Um, I, I could talk to you for hours, but unfortunately the clock is my enemy, but, um, This is—we'll call this a part one because within the next couple of weeks, if everything, all the stars align, we'll be back talking about another movie that you have seen and I have not. I think I know your thoughts on it. Um, I'm preparing myself for an utter travesty—the remake of *The Color Purple*.
1: Oh, lord! (sighs) I, I, I I, you, you. Do you know that? Do you know the Three Stooges skit um, *Niagara Falls*? I don't know if i do oh whenever whenever someone says niagara falls it, it sets the three stooges on edge and they do and they, <laughs> they they automatically respond slowly i turn step by step inch by inch and then they get violent uh, that's <laughs> that's my response to any reference to the musical movie the color purple it makes me violent <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll be sure and wear some protective padding uh, <laughs> when we talk about it. <laughs> oh, it's a disaster, and it's worth letting people know know about it.
0: Well, we'll talk more in depth about that because, again, I don't want to. I don't want to prejudge, but I've seen the trailer. I mean, we talked about the original, the Steve, uh, Steven Spielberg version, a couple years ago, so there'll be a follow up to that for sure. Um, but yeah, Merry Christmas, I guess, um, <laughs> Armand. <laughs> uh, Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure again. I'm 2024. I'm going to remedy this disaster that was 2023 in terms of us not talking movies more. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, what do, What do you have to plug? You You mentioned that you've written about American fiction for the National Review. I'll, I'll definitely link. Leave a link down below. But anything else you want to talk about as far as what you have going on?
1: Well, always writing. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll have a I'll have a piece in National Review on. On, uh on uh, rebel moon and I also intend to to return and print to uh, John wick 4 which I think is a is a major achievement and 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 should change the culture uh, wow or, or, or it says it I think it, it represents things about the culture that uh, people need to think about uh, so uh, that, that's, that's what's on my mind to plug and to, to anticipate and to embark upon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I will read that piece with great interest because I was not a fan of John Wick 4 that I can remember, but I'm always interested to find out what did I miss uh, from a different perspective. So you said, it warrants revisit. So. Thank you again, sir. We'll talk again soon. Um, and thank you all out there for watching this uh, this review of American fiction. If you like what you see, please like and subscribe. All that good stuff. Follow our mind, Armand, uh, and our minds. Um, but his links, to all his stuff, will be down below. Thanks, everybody.
1: Take care. I always enjoy it. Thank you. <laughs> all right.